Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Christ is risen. Now that's an amen to kick off a glorious Easter Sunday. So glad that y'all are here this morning and those watching online. My family and I were recently in Jerusalem, and one of the great treats that we got to, one of the sights we got to see the final day was the garden tomb. It's one of the places where they suspect that Jesus was buried. Now, before we actually got to go into the tomb, because we did get to go in, our tour guide said something that really struck, struck me. And I've been thinking about it ever since. He posed, he made a statement and he posed two questions. And here's what he said. We all bring something into the tomb. But the questions we need to ask are these. What will you be like when you come out? We all bring something into the tomb. What will you be like when you come out? How does the empty tomb change our lives today? Aren't those the questions that many of us are asking as we stop today and contemplate Easter? We all brought something in today. You know exactly what you brought in today, the things you long to see or hear, answers to, whatever they may be. But the question is this, how are you going to walk out? How's the empty tomb going to impact your life today? Or maybe to put it another way, what what implications does the empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus, have for us today? We're going to look at those, and I think you'll see that there are many Well, I want to bring you back to the scene and and, and picture yourself there, if you will. Tony just read it from John's Gospel. It was a wild morning. Mary and some other ladies go to the tomb early in the morning before the sun had come up. They had spices to anoint the body of Jesus with. And obviously, to their surprise, they find that the stone had been rolled away. And, And seeing in, there was no body of Jesus in there. I mean, can you imagine what was going through their minds? And so Mary Magdalene runs, and she goes and tells Peter and John, what she saw. And Peter and John make a beeline to the tomb to find out what is going on. And in a moment, moments later, Mary Magdalene peers in and sees two angels, one at the head and one at the foot where Jesus would have been. Now, I want you to think about that scene for a moment, all that was going on. Can you imagine the chaos and confusion? The chaos and confusion, they thought they would find the dead body of Jesus. They had no idea what was going on. How were they to make sense of it? Friends, I take you back to that scene for a moment to then bring you to where we live today. You see, we all know what chaos and confusion are like, don't we? While our situations are different than what they found at the empty tomb that morning, we all live in the midst of chaos and confusion. The past two years, all this stuff with COVID going on, and then more recently, the financial strain on our economy, the war in Ukraine, Not to mention just what you brought in today in your own personal life. For some of you living in the midst of chaos and confusion. Perhaps you came this morning looking for hope. Looking for hope. Looking for something to anchor you. To something that will make sense of what's going on in your life right now. I want you to hear this. Whatever you brought in this morning, all those things, bring them to the cross. Because I know that the Lord, the risen Lord, longs to meet you right there. That this wouldn't just be another Easter that you come and celebrate and walk on and go about your day, waking up tomorrow, not thinking twice about it. But that today would actually be a day where as you come and see the empty tomb, recognizing the resurrection of Jesus, that your life will be changed as you go forward. 
That's my prayer for us this morning. So here's what I want to do as we look at this passage. I want to look at just two particular characters, Mary Magdalene and Peter, what they brought to the tomb, having gone into the tomb, how their lives were changed, and what we can learn for that, how that impacts sort of the implications for our lives as well. And then we're going to wrap this up by looking at some practical things to see how do we live now in light of the resurrection. So first, let's take a look at Mary Magdalene. Let me tell you a little about who she is first, because it's important to understand her reaction when she came and saw the grave empty. Mary Magdalene was a woman who was once demon-possessed. She lived as an outcast. She had no friends. She had no home. She had no money. She lived in poverty until she met Jesus. When Jesus was ministering around the Sea of Galilee, he came and he found her. And as he prayed for her, he cast out seven demons from her life. And from that moment on, there was new life in Mary Magdalene, new hope. She had a new purpose and calling in life. And from that very moment, she began to follow Jesus. And so, yes, Mary Magdalene was there when he was hanging on the cross. She saw him die. She knew where they laid him in the tomb. So what did she bring? What did she come to the tomb with that morning? Well, I can only imagine these things. As she came to the tomb, she was filled with sadness, hopelessness, and she was confused. Wondering now what her life was going to be like with Jesus dead. I mean, he had given her new hope and new life, but with him gone, what hope did she have? She had no home. Her only friends were the disciples, and who who knew what would happen with them? Her future looked bleak. She had nothing to go back to. Here's what I want you to see. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb with a small view of Jesus that morning. She didn't have a paradigm for the resurrection. Her paradigm for Jesus himself was far too small. I want to ask you this morning. I wonder if your paradigm for Jesus is like that of Mary Magdalene's, too small. Did you come in this morning with a category of the resurrection? You see, Mary wasn't looking for a risen Jesus. She was looking for a dead body in the tomb. I wonder what you came in looking for today. What is it that you live searching and looking for as you go about your days? Friends, as I think about this passage and this scene, I recognize there's so many places that, excuse me, these flowers do a number on my throat. (laughs) There's so many places that we tend to run to Because our view of God is too small, and we run to things that I would call God replacements. Things that we place our hope in. People that we place our hope in. People that we think are going to satisfy the deeper longings of our hearts. I wonder if you can name some of those in your own life. I wonder what God replacements you have allowed to take root in your life. So here are two questions I want to ask. Have they really paid off? Have they really satisfied the deeper longings of your soul? You see, we run to those things because our view of Jesus is far too small. We don't have a paradigm that he has risen from the grave and is alive today. You see, the last thing that Mary thought that she would find was Jesus standing right there behind her. But that's exactly what happened to her. Listen listen again. So the scene is... um, uh, Peter and John have gone back to the other disciples. So Mary is standing there looking in the tomb. And here's what we read in verse 14. 
Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And then Jesus said these words, this word, Mary, Mary. Friends, he knew exactly what she needed to hear in that very moment. He knew exactly what her fears, what her doubts, the confusion, and there was one word that she needed to hear, and that was her name. That the risen Savior knew her name, that the risen Savior knew exactly what was going on and how to meet her in that place. Friends, I want you to hear this. If you had been there instead of Mary, he would have said your name. He would have said Carol. He would have said Jonathan. He would have said Thomas. He would have said Judy. He would have said your name. Because when he says our name, it tells us, it shows us that he knows exactly who we are. And because he knows us, he knows exactly what we need in those moments when there is chaos and confusion going on in our lives. What I want you to see this morning is Mary, all of a sudden, her life changed in that moment. She went from hopelessness to hope. You see, in that very moment when Jesus said, Mary, and she realized that Jesus is now the living Lord, the living Savior, the living King who knows our names. Emile Calais was a professor at Princeton University he spent most of his life looking and searching for quotes that would, from people who said profound things. You see, he was searching for quotes that, that he could gather that would help him make sense of his own life. And so over the years of his life, he gathered all these quotes together and he put them in a book to help him make sense of his life, words that he could relate to. Until one day, a friend gave him a Bible. He'd never had a Bible. He'd never read a Bible. He picked up the Bible and began to read it. And as he went through it, he took his book of quotes and he threw it away. And he said these words, I have finally found a book that understands me. I have finally found a book that understands me. Friends, isn't that what we're looking for? We're looking for something. We're looking for rather someone who can really understand us. And I will tell you, this book right here, God's incredible word is a book that understands everything about your life and my life. And it shows us a Savior who has gone through everything that we have gone through as well. I love it because what we find in the Bible is a God who understands the complexities of our lives. He understands our fears and our doubts. He understands our pain and our sorrow. He understands the suffering and confusion that we often live in. It's a book that understands us because it's a book about a God who understands us. A living God who knows exactly what you need right here, right now. That's what we find when we come face to face with the risen Savior. And that's what Mary Magdalene found that moment when Jesus opened her eyes that he was alive. Now I want to take a look at Peter for a moment. What did Peter bring to the tomb that day? And then how was he changed as he came out of the tomb? So I said it already, you know the story. Mary Magdalene went and told Peter and John, they run to the tomb 
You can only imagine what they were thinking, the things they were thinking about, going, wait a minute, he's not there? You see, Jesus had told them that he was going to rise from the dead three days later. But they didn't have a paradigm for that. I think their view of Jesus then was still too small. So they weren't probably thinking, he rose, he's arrived, you know. I think Peter was thinking a lot like Mary Magdalene was thinking. His thoughts were swirling, did someone steal his body? And so Peter, too, brought fear, confusion, and doubt to the tomb. But you know, there's something else that Peter brought that Mary didn't bring. Peter brought his guilt and his shame. Remember, when Jesus was arrested, Peter was in the courtyard, and three different people came up to him and said, do you know him? Are you one of his? He's one of the followers. And each time, Peter denied that he knew Jesus And the rooster crowed. We see in the gospel reading uh, that we looked at the other day, when he realized what he had done, he went away and he wept bitterly, becoming filled with guilt and shame. Friends, let me say this. Whether you're a religious person or not, whether you believe in Jesus or not, every one of us in this room, everyone watching online, we all know what shame and guilt are like. We all know what it's like to walk around with the heavy weight and the burden that our sins do, whether you call it sin or not. We know what shame and guilt are like. And every one of us in this room knows exactly something that we all do, and we like to cover those places so that nobody sees our badness, right? We're masterful at doing that. We don't want people to see what's really there. Friends, that's what Peter brought to the tomb that first Easter morning. But then as Peter went inside, I want, you to, read, I want to read this to you. These, these, these words are powerful. In verses 6 and 7, we read this. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place all by itself. Now, you might hear that and go, okay. But I want to bring you to one word that's so important. We see, it said, Peter saw. Now that word is pregnant. The Greek word here is pregnant with meaning. It means so much more than me just looking and seeing the beautiful flowered cross there. Here's what this word really means. It means that Peter went in to observe intently and to stop and to pause and to look to try and understand. Peter was in that tomb, seeing that there was no body, but seeing the cloth laying there, trying to understand what was really going on. And then God, in his mercy and his grace, opened Peter's eyes to the reality that what he had heard before really did come true. No one had stolen the body of Jesus. (laughs) Jesus rose from the dead, and Peter walked out believing You see, friends, Peter walked away from that tomb with hope. He walked away from that tomb with the hope that his sins could really be forgiven, that that shame and guilt could actually be dealt with. He walked away with the hope that that the mess of his life, and we all know what that's like, he walked away with the hope that the mess of his life could be restored. Russ Ramsey, in his book, Behold the King of Glory, spoke of this scene in this way, all that's going on, and then the the words that the angel said. Here's what he wrote. But what the angel told them breathed life into the hope 
that all of humanity's frailty, brokenness, struggle, grief, and mourning may have a remedy. That mankind's ability to wound one another so deeply by their own sinfulness and their ability to absorb so much pain and grief from, their sin, from the sins of others may in fact be reversible. Do you see the hope that the risen Savior brings to you and me? Friends, listen. What if there really was a remedy for the guilt and shame that we so often carry around? What if there was really a remedy for that? What if the brokenness of our lives could actually be reversed? Could you imagine what that would be like for you? What if Jesus really did rise from the grave alive? Can you imagine? Friends, it happened. Jesus stood there. It happened. It is true. And that's why we come and celebrate. Because the resurrection is real. And so the brokenness of your life, the brokenness of mine, there is hope that new things can come out of what the enemy has sought to destroy. Friends, because Jesus rose from the grave, it means that everything changes for you and me. I want you to hear that this morning. Oh, no, it may not all come perfectly together. Because this side of heaven, we, we, we still experience brokenness. But we live with the hope. That things that we're living with today, there's hope that things can get better tomorrow. There is hope for tomorrow. And Peter knew this hope. I love it because many years later after this scene, Peter restored understanding the grace and love of God through Jesus. Wrote these words, I'll read them in a second, to a church who was struggling, who was being persecuted, who was wavering in their faith. Listen to what Peter wrote. This is from 1 Peter Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again and to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen? Friends, that's what we celebrate. A living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That brings life for you and me today. So finally, I want to wrap it up with this last point. What is the empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus, how does it change our lives today? We could talk about the, the resurrection like this in a sense as a, as a magnificent diamond. Think about a diamond held up to the light with all of its beautiful facets. Have you ever seen one? It's magnificent. Well, the resurrection of Jesus has so many facets, so many implications for our lives that I want to dive into but you're going to be thankful I'm only going to list two this morning. <laughs> I, though I will say this, I want to invite you back for the Sundays after this because I named this in the first service. One thing that, that we do in the Anglican Church, for those of you who might be new to this, is that we don't just celebrate Easter one Sunday a year. You see, we came from a season of Lent that lasted 40 days, things where we gave up, right? Things where we, we recognize weightier areas of sin in our lives. 40 days. Friends, let me tell you how long we celebrate Easter. It's too good to celebrate one day. We celebrate it for 50 days. And so what I want you to see is this. Come back for the next five Sundays, and we are going to continue to celebrate and look at the magnificent facets of what the resurrection really means for you and me today. And friends, we are going to celebrate. But let me get back to this. Okay, two things very briefly. The first thing we see is that a new era has dawned because of the resurrection. 
Look what John wrote. Listen to the language that he wrote in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week. It's easy to read past that so quickly, but don't. Because he's intentional saying the first day of the week. The first day of the week is a new beginning, a new era. What we find happening at the resurrection is this. Easter is the first day of God's new creation. Friends, I hope you begin to think about how incredible that is for us. If that's the first day of new creation, then every day after that, we get a greater and greater taste of new things. At the very end of the scriptures, in, the end of, in Revelation 21, we find these words, Behold, I am making all things new. And that's not just for us to have in heaven, in the new heaven and the new earth. It is here today. And so I want you to begin to think about what will it look like to lean into the reality that Easter is the first day of God's new creation. What will that be like for you when you wake up tomorrow? Think about those implications. And the second thing is this. The second thing is the resurrection brings us into a new relationship with God. When Mary saw Jesus, she held on to him. I mean, wouldn't you too? She hugged him and held on like a bear claw And Jesus said to her these words, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Did you get it? Friends, when we come out of the tomb believing in Jesus, when we really believe, we find that we have been brought into a glorious new relationship where we too can say, My Father and my God. Think about that for your life. Can you say, my Father and my God, that we have been brought into a relationship with the living God, the living God who enters our chaos, (laughs) the living God who enters the mess of our lives, the living God who's not ashamed to see how dirty we are, but he is my Father and my God, where we find mercy, forgiveness, and grace every day of our lives. So friends, I don't know what you brought in this morning. I pray that you will leave renewed. I pray that you will leave refreshed. I pray that some this morning who came in not believing, that, that you would be like Peter and see and not just look, but give yourself time to ponder the reality. Is this really true? And if it is, and I believe it is, then you too will find yourself being able to say, my Father and my God, and begin to see what it looks like to walk daily with a risen Savior. And for others here this morning who, who have believed, and, and maybe you've come to that place where it's just, kind of, it's just kind of gotten old for you, and you've gotten distracted by so many other things, what I pray for you on this resurrection morning is that this Easter would be a reawakening for your life. A reawakening. Do you need a reawakening this morning? A reawakening to a, to a Savior who is alive and who longs to walk with you every day. And then for those of us who have been walking with Jesus for a long time, I'm going to end with this phrase that a friend of mine shared with me, something that I don't even think I realize I said this a lot, but you all who've been around will probably be familiar. Phrase that I often use, here it is, continue to lean into the realities of the resurrection. Lean into the realities of the resurrection. 
and you will find yourself coming more and more alive in Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we love you and we're so grateful that you have opened our eyes to a glorious resurrection. And so may we, like Peter, ponder and see and believe even more deeply than we did when we came in. Like Mary Magdalene, may we see that you know us by name. We bless you, Father. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you, Holy Spirit, for all that you have accomplished for us. In Christ, our risen Savior's name, amen.